We're continuing in our study of uh, really getting ready for his return. And the question is, get ready. are you ready? Because he's coming. And we've looked at a number of things. I'm not going to spend the time this morning to go back over what they are. And there's one more thing after this that we're going to talk about. But we've been spending time looking at faith because in Luke 18, 8, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to look, he's going to ask this question, will I find faith on the earth? So that means he's going to be looking for faith. And that includes faithfulness. And, and we've looked at what the Bible says about faith, why faith is so important. We've seen that, that we receive from God by faith because from God's side, he gives, and that's called grace. But it takes faith to receive what God has given by grace because of what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And basically what that means, it's believing something is real because God said it is, even though your five senses don't detect it or can't confirm it, or sometimes say just the opposite. So it's deciding to believe that something's true because God said so, regardless of what your senses say. And that sounds really easy sitting in church. The real challenge is back out there in life because there are times your senses are screaming at you, saying, and, and, and we've lived a whole life of learning to pay attention to, obey, and submit to our senses and to begin to realize that in order to receive from God, we have to be willing to go not by what our senses say, but what God's Word says. Now, when it comes to driving, <laughs> when it comes to shaving or whatever you do with any dangerous instrument, you better go by your senses. <clears throat> but when, those, when it has to do with something God has said and what your senses tell you contradict it, then faith is going with what God said regardless of what my senses tell me. And so we've seen that the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that we're, we're, we're saved by grace, which is what God gives to us, received through faith because God's grace has been given to everybody. But it's only those who've received it by faith who've experienced it because it takes faith to believe God's forgiven you. It takes faith to believe. In fact, Paul talks in in 1 Corinthians about the foolishness of the cross because to many people the cross is a foolish concept. How could a man dying 2,000 years ago on a cross affect my life today? Well, it's foolishness to the world. It doesn't make sense. But I'm, God's be showing me more and more scriptures about how he's not so concerned with whether... He doesn't do things by whether they make sense to us or not. You know, we, we need to walk in common sense. There are too many Christians that don't have common sense or don't exercise it. But there are also things where, where we exercise our sense above what God says. And in that case, we need to learn to prefer God's word. So we receive not only our salvation by faith, but we receive everything else that God has provided for us by faith. Why? Because you can't see he's given it to you. But by faith we believe it's ours and therefore we receive it and act so. But our study has been not so much for receiving things from God by faith, but what Hebrews talks so much more about, it doesn't talk very much about, Hebrews 11, doesn't talk so much about receiving things from God by faith, although that is one of the purposes of it, but it's to keep us steady and unmoved and with our eyes on a future and a hope that you can't see. And we've talked about that because the Bible says, and we've gone a few weeks ago, went back and studied uh, some examples out of there, out of Hebrews 11, about Abraham and how Abraham lived in tents with his sons Isaac and Jacob. And the tents represented a temporary dwelling place because they were looking forward to a city and a, and a dwelling that had a foundation that was permanent that was given from God. He's talking about heaven. 
in that although in generations past, many, most of the Christians lived their life with their whole eyes on heaven, but the result is they did very little earthly value here for the kingdom of God. But our generation's sort of gone to the other end of the spectrum, and we've become so earthly-minded about doing things for God here that we've forgotten that there's a heaven that's a reward. There's a heaven that's our hope. But you receive that, and you live your life here with that in mind by faith because you can't see it. You can't see it. Unless you've been to heaven and come back, you don't know it's there by your senses, so you know it's there by faith. And then, so that's what we've been looking at. Now in Hebrews 11, I'm gonna, we're not going to start at the beginning, but there's another purpose to this, what faith does for us, that, that it will help us in these times. So we receive from faith, uh, receive things from God by faith. We draw near to God with confidence by faith. We live our life here with confidence, with our eyes on heaven by faith. And last week in verses 17 through 19, we saw that faith is what allows us to pass tests on this earth because you are will go through tests if you have not already or are not in one now and most likely many of you are in a test right now and we saw that those tests were may come from god they may come from the enemy they may just come from mistakes you made but the way through them is by faith faith is what allows you to go through them and be successful and overcome now we're going to look at another aspect of what faith allows us to do and we're going to pick up in verse 23, Hebrews 11:23. What I'm going to do is read a couple of scriptures to you, then we're going to go back and look at the story because it fills in some of the details. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, keep in mind, every time we look at one of these scriptures or one of these stories, these are examples of what... Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is. So again, it's a case where somebody has something they've heard from God or seen from God, and they're acting on that in spite of what their senses are telling them to the contrary. So we saw that when it came to living their life here, our life here, with our eyes on heaven, because you can't see heaven. But faith allows you to walk with confidence here that you do have a future and a hope that's more real than what you're going through right here. And that, that therefore, in tests, that God will bring you through the tests. But, but you only know that by faith, because sometimes in the middle of tests, you wonder where he is or whether he's forgotten where you are. But he never does, because the Word of God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. So here we're going to see that same principle applied in another area. So by faith, Moses was born, when he was born, was hidden three months. So what the story we're going to look at, we know it's an example of this principle of faith. So so Moses' parents hid him after three months. They hid him as an act of faith. We'll see why in a minute. Because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, this is after when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming or valuing the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, and he looked, he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There again is that principle. Seeing something with the eye of faith and not paying attention to what your eyes actually see. So here you'll often see this pattern where they saw one thing with the eye of faith and did not pay attention to what their physical eyes saw. And we'll see, again, we'll see as we go through these examples, see that applied. 
Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover. We're going to we'll go into that a little later. Okay, let's stop, let's stop right there, verse 27. Now, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, and we'll see what this story is about. Many of you know it, but we're going to go through it and look at the specifics of it. Exodus chapter 1. The children of Israel, just a very quick background here. A, a famine came on the land where the children of Israel were residing. And God, through a whole set of circumstances, sent one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, on ahead, and through a series of circumstances, which also were an example of a man walking by faith, God was able to put Joseph into his place of assignment, which turned out to be the prime minister of Egypt in charge of the famine relief fund. And then God sends his family down there, and God had sent Joseph on ahead so that Joseph could make provision for God's people, the God's covenant people. There in Egypt, the famine passes. The beginning of Hebrews, Exodus 1 says that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died, and all, Joseph died in all that generation, and there grew up a new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, didn't understand how God had put Joseph in that position, and began to look at the children of Israel, and it says they were more and mightier than the Egyptians, and Pharaoh became afraid of them, lest perchance uh, an enemy attacks them, and the Israelites side with the enemy and not with the Egyptians. So when you look at the movie, and of course in a couple of weeks I'm sure television is going to have one of those great extravaganzas on that takes us back through the Exodus, and whoever wrote it didn't read the Bible, because it shows you that they were oppressed against their will. The reality is, is the Hebrews were more and mightier than the Egyptians, so they ended up in bondage because they chose to be there. Not because they elected one day, let's go into bondage, because they chose the comfort Oh boy, this is going to get good here. I may meddle a little bit. Is that okay? Oh, this side wants it, so I'll, you can listen in. They, 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 allowed, they, they, they trusted in what the government was giving them freely and were willing to exchange their freedom for food and shelter and comfort. So they submitted to the power of Pharaoh and once they submitted... They couldn't get themselves out. We could spend some time on that, but we're not going to right now. All right. Now, let's pick up here in, um, in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you, see the duties of, when you do the duties of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it's a son, then you shall kill him. And if it's a daughter, then she shall live. He's afraid of men being born and being raised as a new generation. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God, reverenced him, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but they saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively, which means they're strong and they're sturdy, and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt, look at this, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew 
mightily, so it was because the midwives feared or reverenced God that he provided households for them. Now, here's what's going on here. This story is not part of Hebrews 11, but it leads into the one that is and gives us a background here. Here you've got the head of the government who's issued a command to them to do something that violates God's word. And these midwives have a choice to make. Now, just put yourself in their place. These are two women and Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world at the time. And his power was absolute. He had the power of life and death. If he said, you live, you live. If he said, you die, you die. And he didn't have to explain it or justify it to anybody. He was not accountable to anybody on the earth. And this man has ordered you to do something to kill every Hebrew child that you assist being born. And they have a choice to make about whether they obey Pharaoh or they obey God. They have a choice to make. There may be coming a day when you and I are forced to make that choice. The strength that they had to obey God and not Pharaoh was because they were women of faith. Now, it's easy to sit here on a Sunday morning and read those verses quickly, and not, but think for a moment about what that must have been like for them. These are two Hebrew women. I don't know if they had husbands or not. And, and they're ordered by Pharaoh at the threat of their life to obey him. Because if you disobeyed him, that's it. No, no, no court proceeding. No appeals. I mean, it was over and done with quickly if he was merciful to you. And imagine what must have been running through their minds. The fear of dying, the fear of what Pharaoh might do. But apparently they feared God, reverenced God, more than they feared Pharaoh. Pharaoh they could see. Pharaoh's command they could hear with their senses. So all their senses said, you better do what he says. But they chose to obey God whom they couldn't see based on his word and not obey a contrary order that came from Pharaoh whom they could see. But look what happened when they obeyed God. So we're talking about compromise. Faith, and only faith, will keep you from compromising in the face of pressure. Say that again. Faith in God. Faith in God's promises to provide and care and protect you. Faith in God's promises is the only thing that will keep you from compromising under pressure against your senses. Because the enemy can turn it up and turn it up and turn it up and turn it up. But he can't turn it up any more than threatening to lose your life. And when you've learned the things we've talked about and you've meditated on them and instilled them in you, losing your life is not the worst thing that can happen to you because it's promotion. The worst thing that can happen is compromise. But it doesn't feel like that under the pressure on our senses. So it says here, first of all, God protected them. 
Because when Pharaoh confronted him and they, they, they had an answer for him and he didn't execute them, then it goes on to say he blessed their households. God blessed their households because they put God first above Pharaoh. Because they didn't compromise, you never lose by putting God first. You never lose by putting God first. Ask the three Hebrew children who Nebuchadnezzar forced to make a choice. I mean, they could smell the smoke of the fire. They could feel the heat from the fire. That heat was so real that the men that threw them in burned up. But when they didn't compromise, they wouldn't bow See, the choice sometimes is you bow or you burn. They wouldn't bow, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar tried to burn them. But if you know the story, when they looked inside, they, Pharaoh, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute, how many do we throw in there? He said, we threw three. He says, well, I count four of them. By the way, they were free. He threw them in bound. And the fire freed them. The fire burned off the fetters. You may have to go through a fire if you don't compromise, but that fire will burn away the bondage. But you won't, you'll bow if you haven't learned to walk by faith. And he said, that fourth one in there has the appearance of the Son of God. You don't bow, God will show up. Even if it's in the middle of a fire, the Son of God showed up in that fire with them. And when they brought them out, their God was given glory. Only because they didn't bow. And the reason they didn't bow is they'd learned to walk by faith and not by what their senses told them. Because their senses told them, it's stupid. It's just bowing your knee for a moment. See, this is how compromise works on us. It, look, it's, and the government's telling me to do it. I mean, we're supposed to respect the government, right? Yes, until the government exalts itself over God. It's just a moment to just, you know, just, just, you know, boom, bow my knee. That's all Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And they would have saved their skin, their flesh. They would have. But they refused to compromise God's standards. They refused to deny him. And because of that, God preserved them. And God showed up on the scene. But it takes faith to learn to do that. And you see, the test that you're going through right now, whatever you're going through right now, if you'll learn to apply faith to those, if you'll learn to stand in faith under the pressures you're under now, that's training. So you don't, when, they, when, when you enlist or are enlisted in the military, as I shared with you before, you know, they don't just throw you out in the battlefield, right? They take you through basic training. And they, first of all, get your flesh under control that you have to learn very early, starting at Reveille, that you can't do the things you want to do and you've got to do things you don't think you can do, but find out you can. Well, it's no different in the kingdom of God. That's one of the reasons for a fast. 
to show you can do things you don't think you can do. And so, because God, if, he, if, you'll, if you'll just allow Him to lead you, He's preparing you, strengthening you, as long as you don't run away from it, and you don't hide from it, and you allow God to work in you, He's preparing you for what's coming so that you'll be ready. So whatever you're going through right now, Learn to apply your faith against it. Build up your faith. Meditate on scriptures. Study the scriptures. Do that instead of watching whatever you stuff on TV. Is that going to help you pass the test, or is the word of God that you build into you going to do it? Ask yourself those questions. Those are the questions God's asking me. Okay. Now, let's go over to chapter 2. And the man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, now this is the story that was told in Hebrews 11, she hid him for three months. So there's an edict out now that all male children are be killed. And this boy is born to him, and she sees something. Now every, mo- every mother sees their child as beautiful. Right? Right, moms? Every mother sees her child as beautiful. Whether they are or not, they're beautiful to you. So this must have been something beyond just he's cute. She's not, it's not talking about he saw, you know, he had cute eyes and, you know, he had a little dimple here and, and he looked like his dad with his dad's ears and his dad's feet and he had his mother's eye. It's not, we're not talking about that. The beauty we're talking about was something special about him that she recognized in here. She saw something in here that recognized there was something about him. God had his hand upon him. And now she's faced with a choice. I'm commanded, because we didn't read the scripture, but because the midwives failed to do it, Pharaoh issued an order to all mothers that they were to execute their children if they were born male. And so she's under this edict just as the two Hebrew midwives were under. And she looks at this child and by the spirit she senses there's something special. There's a call of God. There's something special in God's eyes about this child beyond just he's my child and he's cute. So he's a choice to make. Verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark, that's just a container, of bulrushes for him she daubed them with asphalt and pitch. In other words, she sealed it up and she put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. Now let's stop there a second. This is Mama with a three-month-old child who's cute. He's darling. But there's a call of God on his life. And that every instinct in her wants to hold on to him and continue to hide him. But she's got to obey God. She's got to preserve this child's life. Now listen to how she preserves it. She takes him out of her care, puts him in a cold, hard basket, not the warmth of her arms and the blanket, and sets him out in the reeds. You ready for this? And lets him go. But she's not abandoning him. She's letting him go into the destiny and hands of God. Mamas, that takes faith. Because every mother I've ever known has every instinct that I can take care of this child better than anybody else. This is my child, and that's an instinct. 
and that's fine. Unless that instinct is in between that child and God. There comes a point when every one of us has to take our children and release them to God. Because understand, and you have to do that by faith. And you know what? It never ends. When they're three months, three years, 13, 30, and on up, you still have to release them into God's destiny because here's the secret. They don't belong to us. They're entrusted to us to raise for Him. They belong to Him. And somehow we think we love them more than He does. And somehow we think we can do a better job of taking care of them than He can. And that's walking by sight and not by faith. In order to walk... See, the faith stuff is good when... You know, it's easy when it comes to things. It's when it comes to the close relationships that it's hard. Letting go of our children into God's hands. She did that by faith. To let her child go in a basket and she couldn't control what was going to happen to him anymore. That's faith. But if you go on and read the rest of the story, her daughter goes out to watch the basket to see where it goes and comes back and says, Mama, it floated down by Pharaoh's, where his Pharaoh's daughter's bays. And she brought the basket in, saw this child, saw something special about him. She brought the child into, into her house to raise as Pharaoh's, as her son. And she said, but this child's still nursing. We need to go find a Hebrew woman that's still nursing to be able to feed this child and raise this child as, a, as the nursemaid. And see, this is what happens when you, when you give something up to God. You know who they found? Moses' mother. And they brought her in. Now, here's the situation. She's now living in the palace, raising her son. And if you read on, getting paid for it. You, you, you can't put God first, and then God doesn't put you first. And He can do a much better job than you can. But here the pressure was to compromise. To take things into her own hands and deal with this pressure her own way by hiding him from. And if she had done that, she would have hidden Moses from his destiny and the children of Israel would not have been delivered from bondage. You have no idea what's at stake with whether you walk in faith with your children or not and the destiny that God has for them. You have no idea. So we must do it by faith and not by our feelings. All right. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We didn't read on in in Exodus 2. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So here's what happens. We fast forward now maybe 20 years. And Moses has been raised in Pharaoh's household to be the next Pharaoh. And he goes out to visit his brethren. And and I've told you this before. Don't pay attention to the movies. He knew he was a Hebrew. Two reasons we know for sure. Every Hebrew male was circumcised on the eighth day. The Egyptians weren't. So he knew that way. I won't have to go into details. Secondly, his mother's raising him. You don't think she told him? So he knew he was Egyptian, but he's looking at the situation. He knows the children of Israel need to be delivered. So he looks at the, he's looking with his own understanding, and he sees the children in bondage. He knows there's a promise of a deliverer coming, because God spoke to Jacob 400 years earlier and said, My, your children will be in bondage for 400 years, but I will deliver them. So it's about that time, so he knows it's about time for them to be delivered. And so, so he's, putting, he's putting two and two together. They're in bondage. God's obviously placed me in a position of authority here because very soon I'm going to be the new Pharaoh. So obviously God's going to deliver his people through me. And it's nice and comfortable in this place. I've got nice clothes and I'm going to have a nice throne to sit on and I can do all kinds of good things as Pharaoh, except that wasn't God's plan. And so Moses comes and visits his brethren and sees an Egyptian persecuting them, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, comes back the next day, see two Hebrews fighting, and he goes to break it up. And they basically say, who are you to break this up? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Now he knows the secret's out. So this verse is telling us he had a choice to make. He could have chosen to stay and try to lead his people by becoming Pharaoh with all the pleasures and all the... because there was nothing denied Pharaoh. Whatever he wanted for pleasure, it was abundantly supplied for him. But this verse tells us he made a choice. He chose to put aside the passing pleasures of Egypt and choose instead the reproach of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Because obviously Christ hadn't been born there. But Christ is considered the fulfillment of the Hebrew people that were in bondage. So it basically represents the Hebrews, the Jews. The reproach that they were going through for Christ, he chose rather to go to be identified with his people, to be identified with God's plan, to be identified with God's destiny for his people, even though it meant going through suffering. He valued that more highly than the pleasures that he would have had in the, in the palace, even though he had figured a way that he could have fulfilled God's purpose his way and not God's way. See, one of the things that's come, crept into the church's understanding today is that because God's blessed us and Abraham's blessings are ours, we just kind of assume that the way God's going to work in our lives is always take us on the easiest route, and the most, most financially blessed and comfortable route. But I don't find a lot of examples of that in the Bible. Joseph is a great example. God's call was for him to be 
prime minister of Egypt. But he didn't walk in there with a great entourage and God have Pharaoh recognize him. Oh, you're the man we've been looking for. He had to go through 20 years of imprisonment and times when he was seen forgotten by God. Tremendous things he had to go through. Of course, it developed his character. And Moses has to make that same kind of choice. And the point here, here again, it's it's the strength to not compromise God's standards and God's way of of leading your life. Because when when you, what you need for your sense of well-being is the comfort that's around you. And what you need for your sense of security is, you know, numbers in your bank account. Positive numbers, that is. And when what you need for your security is a nice, comfortable, plush job with all kinds of benefits, nice to have those things. But if that's what you need for your security, then you're like Moses in Pharaoh's court. It's wonderful to have those things, but they can go like that. Don't build your security on them. Moses chose the reproach of Christ. Now, look how he did it. He chose the reproach of Christ. Esteeming, verse 26, esteeming the reproach or the reviling because of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now, the treasures in Egypt he could see. Remember what faith is. It's this contrast between things your senses tell you and things God tells you, and you've got to choose which one you're going to trust in. And because our senses are so much more real to us, because we spend so much more time paying attention to them than we do the things of the Spirit. But you can grow to the place where the things of the Spirit are more real to you than your senses. You know they are more real, because they're eternal. They're not passing away. We've looked at here at 2 Corinthians 4.18 where Paul says, while we look not at the things that are seen, the natural things, but at the things that are not seen, that's the spiritual things. For the things that are seen with our eyes are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. They don't fade away. Jesus said, lay up for your treasures, not here on earth where rust and thieves can destroy them, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor thieves can enter in. So there's a trade-off. We looked last week where, where Peter says for, for the, to rejoice because the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Now gold here is valuable, but gold in heaven is not worth anything. It's a paving material. So this verse is telling us that, that Moses could walk away from everything that looked good, smelled good, felt good, and he could justify holding on to because it would help carry out his purpose and destiny, but it wasn't God's way of doing it. So he was willing to let go of all those things because he understood those were just passing pleasures, momentary. It's over. Ever struggle with looking at that piece of chocolate cake? And you know I shouldn't eat it. But it's talking to you. It can speak to you. In English or in tongues. Okay? <laughs> and it, it will bargain with you. And of course, it's your flesh. It's not the... It's not the 
It will bargain with you. Say, oh, you can't go on without this. What are you going to... It's going to be wasted. I mean, all kinds of things. It argues with you. Promising you pleasure. Promising you fulfillment. Even this argument, well, chocolate helps you feel better. And there's research out now that chocolate's healthy for you if it's dark chocolate. All this stuff. Suddenly we're scientists, you know, and we're medical experts. And here's what happens. So you give in and you eat it. Now what happens? Now that cake turns on you and starts condemning you for having eaten it. And you you start making all these promises that are lies because you know you're not going to do them. I'll never eat it again. And now you regret. So instead of delivering what it promised, it's enslaving you. See, the issue with with food isn't weight. The issue with food is control. Because for years, I didn't didn't matter, matter what I ate, I wouldn't put weight on. But there were times I had trouble with food. And the fact that I wouldn't put weight on didn't mean I could eat anything I wanted to because the issue was I didn't have self-control. The issue is control, not the weight. Now, if you control it, it will affect the weight. It's what you're submitting to. And again, that's why a fast is so valuable. So Moses makes a trade. He decides, I would rather forsake those pleasures as real as they are to my senses because I understand in the scope of eternity, they're passing. And esteem instead, that means evaluate. Look at what it says. Evaluate instead the the, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So in his evaluation, whatever he had to go through to obey God was infinitely more valuable and precious to him than all those pleasures he walked away from. Why? Because they were permanent. They weren't passing pleasures. They were permanent rewards. Because look what it says. Because remember, you have two sets of eyes. You've got the set in the front of your head, and then there's the eye of faith which is what learns to see what God says, even though your eyes and your head can't see it. So Moses is looking at the pleasures. He's hearing them, probably can smell them, and they're enticing to him. But inside, he's grown and matured that he can look at something with these inner eyes that is more valuable to him. Because look what it says. For he looked not with his two eyes in the front of his head. He looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. So although the senses were screaming at him, come, come on, it's just for a moment. Oh, and you can still do God's will. Compromise. But it wasn't God's plan for his life. It wasn't the way God wanted to do it. So instead, he made the choice to forsake that and to go through whatever he had to go through in order to be the leader of the children of Israel because he was looking to the reward that was going to come. Paul went through everything he went through, even even all of Asia forsaking the gospel. He said, I've run my race, I've finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So he was looking to the reward. 
Now, one last thing before we close. Let's look at the next thing. We'll begin something here. Verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who was invisible. That's that same principle. So faith is what allows us to not compromise. By faith, verse 28, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, he passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. So the last point on faith is it also enables us to overcome obstacles and complete your assignment. You have an assignment, you know. Sometimes it takes faith just to believe you have an assignment. Who am I? Well, God's chosen you to do something for him. And her faith is, he's with you. I notice every time I go to God and say, Lord, are you sure you didn't make a mistake here? God's answer is the same when he gave everybody I read in the Bible, I'll be with you. He never said I didn't make a mistake. He said, I'll be with you. That takes faith. And so the story here is God delivers them from Egypt. A whole series of messages you could do in that. They come out. Pharaoh finally says, out of here, through ten dramatic miracles. They come down to the edge of the Red Sea. They're still on Egypt's side. Pharaoh's heart changes. He says, what are we doing here? He says, they're still camped down by the sea. So he gets 600 of his best chariots and best warriors, and they come barreling down to destroy them. And the children of Israel, who said, we'll go anywhere, God. We'll do anything you say to do. No sooner finished saying that, they, they feel the rumbling in the ground. See, they feel... Remember the battles with your senses? They feel the rumbling in the ground and they look around and they see dust clouds coming. And it's getting louder and louder and over the top of the horizon they can begin to see chariots coming. And now what it says is they feared and they run to Moses and say, isn't this what we told you? If you bring us out out of Egypt, we're going to die out here. I mean, they didn't even last. They didn't get out of Egypt. So they didn't do this by faith. And Moses' answer is, set still. And see, you will see the salvation of God. He, now, this is so powerful. He's tr- Moses, so you've got the children of Israel, they're panicked already. You've got Moses, who's the leader. He's trying to calm them down by saying, everything's going to be okay. Just sit still, and you're going to watch God deliver you. Sounds like great, doesn't it? Then God speaks to Moses and chastises him. Because he says, why are you standing here talking to me? Here's a lesson in faith. This is where some of you are stuck. You know God's going to deliver you. You know God's going to come through, but you're sitting there in the camp waiting for Him to come through. And the enemy's barreling down on you. And God says, why are you standing there? I mean, that sounds like a dumb question. Uh, God, you see this thing here? It's called the Red Sea. You didn't give us boats? I don't see a bridge there. I don't, I don't see a way across it. So what are we doing? We're sitting here. But I'm sitting here in faith because I'm expecting to see the salvation of the Lord. And God says to him, why are you standing there talking to me? I told you to go forth. Faith is acting on what God says, even when it looks impossible. 
Moses got it. And he turns away from the chariots and the people and he faces the sea. And then once he did that, God said, take that rod and hold it out over. When he acted on what God said, God acted. A pillar of fire came down to separate the Egyptians from them and protect them. But not until Moses started to walk forward towards the place God told them to go. See, God said, take this people to that land. He didn't say anything about an obstacle because that's God's problem. Removing the obstacles, God's problem. Doing what God told you to do is your responsibility. And when Moses got the message and started to look forward instead of backwards, God did what only God can do. He opened the sea up all night. They marched across on dry land. When they all got over on the other side, God pulled the fire up. The Egyptians came running right in after them. God caused their wheels to get loose and they started going around in circles. And when the last Israelite was on dry land, God stopped breathing forth the wind. He just went, and the sea came back in. And in one night, they saw themselves walk on dry land through a sea. Walls on either side. Some people say, well, you know, it's just a little narrow thing. That's a greater miracle. Because the entire Egyptian army drowned in it. Not one of the Israelites got wet. And when they were safely on the other side, they saw their enemy destroyed in front of their eyes. But that only happened because Moses led them by faith to their destiny. That generation did not learn the lesson of walking by faith. So when it came a few months later, to entering into the promised land, their destiny, and they sent spies in and they came back and they said, everything God said was true, but there are things God didn't tell us. There are giants in the land. They had just seen the entire Egyptian army wiped out by a, by, and the sea parted for them. But they never learned the lesson of trusting in what God said and not being moved by what their senses told them. So God had to keep that generation for 40 years in the wilderness. They were not able to go into their destiny that God had called them to because they never learned to walk by faith in the circumstances in which God led them. And it took the next generation. That's why when Jesus comes back, he's going to look at this generation and say, do I find faith here? The answer's up to us. The answer's up to us. Next time we're going to go on to the last subject.